Welcome to the It's Not That Deep podcast. I'm your host Deepak Sharma and on this podcast I learn how to level up in all areas of life from people much smarter than me. You see I'm obsessed with the idea that we should be striving to realize our potential and maximize fulfillment with the one life that we have. Let's not overcomplicate it because it's not that deep. This week I chat with serial entrepreneur and co-founder of Ruckify, Steve Cody. Steve has started and built over 15 local and national successful businesses in the tech, rental, service, e-commerce and retail markets which have generated hundreds of millions of dollars in sales. For those who don't know, Ruckify is basically the Airbnb of stuff. In more eloquent terms, it's a peer-to-peer rental marketplace where you can put just about anything you have laying around the house up for rent. But what's really amazing to me is the story about how Steve and his neighbor and and fellow titan of business Bruce Linden came up with the idea for the company. We talk about this in the podcast as well as his journey whether entrepreneurs are born or made as well as the foundational business principles that have helped him get to where he's at today. All right, so here's my ask for you all. Um I want to take it's not that deep to the next level. And in other words, I want uh more people finding the content. And here's how you can help make that a reality. Uh find it's not that deep podcast on Apple Podcasts. Um either just click the link in the description or google it and leave a rating and review. That's all I ask and it would really be a uh, great help. Today's episode is brought to you by Tony Greco's new online health and fitness portal TG Fitness. Tony is an elite celebrity personal trainer who trains the likes of Claude Giroux, Mike Fisher, and Carrie Underwood, just to name a few. TG Fitness includes programs that hit on all pillars of overall health, which has kept me in shape during this lockdown. From home workouts to mindfulness, mobility, and nutrition modules, you'll find it all. Just head over to www.tg.fitness and use the code word DEEP to get 20% off at checkout. Today's episode is produced by my media and marketing agency Deep Digital Media. We specialize in all things podcasts and content creation for people with personal brands and businesses. We actually built and produced all the content within TG Fitness and now we're marketing the brand as well. If you'd like to get in touch with me about anything I've talked about today, head over to www.deepaksharma.co. Enjoy today's episode and just remember it's not that deep. Steve Cody, welcome to the It's Not That Deep podcast. Perfect. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for coming up, man. For those who don't know, you are a serial entrepreneur. You've built over 15 uh local and national successful businesses in tech, rental, service, e-com, retail markets, which have generated hundreds of millions in sales, and you're currently the co-founder of Ruckify. And for those who don't know, that's basically the Airbnb of stuff. <laughs> And in more eloquent terms, uh Ruckify is a peer-to-peer rental marketplace where you can put just about anything you have laying around the house for rent. Um I'm really excited to chat with you here today, Steve. This is going to be an awesome episode. A lot of people have been asking for this one. It's going to be awesome. Let's start at the very beginning because you know I I mentioned that you're a serial entrepreneur you've been involved in so many businesses in your life but walk me through your journey because if I if I'm not mistaken you know there are you know it wasn't an easy beginning for you Yeah I mean it, it wasn't hard either I guess you know it's uh um when you don't know any different I think it's 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 no tougher so I, I mean literally I didn't know any different uh You know, my story is basically grew up with a with a single mom. Uh, you know, she cleaned houses for a living, so she was self-employed. I'd go to work with her some days. Um, 
had a grandfather who, you know, thought I should go to university. He put $10 a month in the bank for me, uh, you know, sort of kind of grow that. So when I was ready for university, there'd be some money sitting there and uh, very dyslexic in school. You know, again, didn't know it at the time because it wasn't really a thing. Uh, but, you know, that gave me a hard time. And, you know, I remember being in grade 10 and kind of thinking, you know, this isn't really for me. Um, so I went to my grandfather and I'd met somebody who had a, a, who worked for a window washer and they were telling me how busy they were. And I didn't even know window washers actually existed. Uh, but he told me how busy he was. So I, you know, I ended up saying, well, what do you need to start a window cleaning company? And he told me. And so I went to my grandfather and there was 1200 bucks in the bank at the time. And I said, you know, can I take that money out? Um, you know, I want to start a window cleaning company. I'm going to leave school and, you know, that'll give me enough basically to buy the bucket, the squeegee, the what ladder. Was that, what was that conversation like with your grandpa when you had to break it to him? Like, hey, man, this whole school thing. Yeah, well, actually, up, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, that's a good question because it was actually really tough with my grandfather until my grandmother stepped in. And my grandmother, like she was the boss. She said, you know, when she supported kind of entrepreneurship and, you know, and anyway, so she's, he was hesitant, but he couldn't be hesitant when she said, you got to make it happen. So, yeah. So then I started the window cleaning company. The one thing, you know, you, now you, everybody talks about doing all this research and, you know, all this. But I can tell you, I started the window cleaning company and uh, I was scared of heights. That was kind of the first thing I found out. So that was, <laughs> that was a problem. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. So anyways, that's kind of, that's how uh, I got started. And, you know, we just went door to door and. Uh, the beautiful thing about window cleaning is if you do a really good job, people will have you back, you know, two, three, four times that same year. So right. you can really start to build up a nice business and it is a word of mouth business. So That's what you, I was going to say. Yeah. The word yeah, of mouth must like be such a, such a big aspect of that because then a couple neighbors see you working and then they're like, hey, who's that? Who's that kid? Oh, he's got a team. He's got a, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like do it for me too. Like how much do you charge? Yeah, exactly. exactly. So yeah, it worked out really, really well. So that's, that's where it started for me. That's awesome. And, you know, just on that note, real quick, um, you know, I just had a good buddy of mine on my podcast um, previously, and, and he started a company where he's doing driveway ceiling, window cleaning, gutter cleaning, and all that stuff. And, you know, uh, in today's world, a lot of people don't look at that as like a sexy business or like, you know, this is not uh, uh, like you don't have the you know, all the, you're not a sexy marketing company or this or that, whatever, like whatever it may be. But we were talking about it and it's like, why is that? What's wrong with a lot of revenue, a lot of sales, bringing in good, solid recurring business? Like that's a beautiful thing. And once you're able to get it to the point where you don't have to be doing that anymore, how is that any different than any, any business out there? Yeah. You know, and what, like something ironic and all of that is you talk about the sexiness, but right now with, we own better software. So better software is a basically an ERP for the service industry, for the franchise industry. And our software actually supports, I would say three of the four biggest window cleaners in North America. So we've got thousands of window washers today on our software every day, which is, which is kind of cool. Yeah. That, that's awesome. It makes a lot of sense too. It's like, why isn't there some kind of platform for people to take it a little bit beyond just doing a couple of streets? And, you know, I can kind of relate in the way and, you know, 
we'll, we'll definitely talk about this. But when I was, uh, you know, when I was younger, I needed to make some money, some quick cash as well. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do? I'm going to mow some lawns. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to uh, shovel some driveways. And then, you know, one thing, one neighbor leads to the next. Now, next thing you know, I got a whole street. I got a decent little business here and it's all cash and life is good. I'm buying my own iPod and all these things. And so it it's it's very interesting seeing that that's possible but it's it's going out there and actually putting some of that effort in and you know that kind of leads me to one of the first questions i wanted to ask you is um do you think entrepreneurs are born or are they made you know i it's another great question i think it depends what level of entrepreneurship you're talking about right so Entrepreneurship is comes in many, many different forms. Like if I want to own a franchise, well then I'm I'm kind of not managing a business, but I'm kind of managing a business. So uh, you know, if I'm Elon Musk, I'm a totally different kind of entrepreneur. Like an, I don't think an Elon Musk is made, you know, that's just it's, it's just in him. And uh there's things that are intuitive that it would take a lot of us just too long to learn. So I think part of it is in us. Um, I've always felt, you know, the lack of formal education for myself has always been a motivator. So when you don't have a fallback position, Mm -hmm. so I'll often hear somebody, you know, I've spoken at a lot of universities and colleges and, you know, you have a a lot of students and, you know, they're talking about when they get out of school, they want to start a business, but you know, they've got a nice fallback, which is, which is not a bad thing, but it's a good thing. But you know, I think for myself, it's always really been more of a case of you kind of have no choice. You have to, you have to make it work. Kind of more of a sink or swim mentality. It's Literally. like, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't have, if I don't go out and hustle and make this money, yeah. I, got, I got no food to eat. Yeah. There's not, there's not one business that I've ever started where I'm thinking, what's my plan B or my plan C? Like there's one plan, there's, there's success and it's, you know, it's likely not going to be the way you originally thought it was going to be, but there's always a way to figure it out. And I think, you know, if you look at successful entrepreneurs, I don't, I think it's more about staying power because it's really hard to be an entrepreneur. And, you know, can you live through the ups and downs? Do you have a partner, a spouse, you know, that's going to support you through the ups and downs? Do you have a family that's going to support you? So all of these different factors kind of play into you know, just can you stick with it or or are you going to give up? And I think that's probably the biggest, literally the biggest differentiator in entrepreneurship. So, you know, that's a really good point. I like that a lot because, you know, it's not just all sunshine and rainbows and it's not just, you know, what, you know, this Instagram version of reality, right? It's, um, you know, there's, and, you know, mind you, I'm still very new to this entrepreneurship world, but you know, I'm learning that there are a lot of ups and downs there. It's kind of a lonely road in, in a lot of aspects. And there's a lot of um, conversations with yourself. Will this work? Is this the right decision? Like it, or some, some mornings you're like, man, I don't know. I'm not even sure if I really want to do this. But then, you know, deeper down inside, like, no, no, I really want to do this. And, and you go, you get it done anyway. So talk to me about what, 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 wakes you up in the morning what what keeps you going and what how did you learn that ability to you know what you know i cannot fail i have to keep going but like even on on those days you're human when you're just like i want nothing to do with anything today how do you keep it going what, what gets you up 
Yeah, I mean, I think as an entrepreneur, you have to really be comfortable with tackling problems and seeing problems more as opportunities and not letting them weigh you down. So, you know, I hear a lot of people in entrepreneurship, they talk about, oh, I went to bed and I was so stressed out, I couldn't sleep, or which is an awful thing. Um, my problem is I get too excited going to bed. I'm too excited to get up in the morning and, I, and I'll wake up, like there's no way I'm reading, starting to read a, an entrepreneur book before I go to bed because I'll never sleep. So right. I don't know why, but I just, I have this opposite problem of being too excited to get up. I've literally had nights where I haven't gone to bed. I'm just too excited. So, you know, so I I guess that's probably a good thing. I don't, uh, there's, you know, I I don't really get overly stressed because whatever's stressing me out is probably a problem and problems are fun to solve. And I think you look at it from that perspective and every problem can be solved. Um, you know, it just kind of gives it a whole new spin. And, uh, so just, I wake up and like, I'm waiting for problems. So. I like that. I like that. And that, that sounds like something to me. And that's like, it's so true. I mean, it's a complete mindset shift, but it's like so many people shy away from problems instead yeah. of, you know, like, you know, I played football, so I, I kind of relate this in, in terms of sports of like, you know, people shying away from contact, like a receiver catching a ball and getting timid. And they're, they're the ones who are going to get hurt as opposed yeah. to the guy who catches it, lowers his shoulder and, you know, F's you up because it's like, yeah, I know you're going to hit me. I'm going to just hit you a bit harder. I love that. Stay on offense, right? And even even mentally, you got to be on offense. If you go on defense, defense is, you know, kind of backing off of something or being scared of something. Stay on offense. And I think you probably always win on offense. And what are some like practical strategies for somebody like just kind of getting into entrepreneurship to do that, to stay on the offense when there's just so much noise out there, there's so much advice and gurus and all this information overload from people telling you what to do. You know, what are, what are some advice from you in, in kind of overcoming all that noise and just staying focused on what you have to do to overcome those obstacles? Yeah. I've got, so I think, a big thing you need to do, you know, if you're st- you know, well, you're, you're thinking about, you know, going full-time entrepreneurship. So Absolutely. I think, I think the first thing you want to do and everybody needs to do is say, what do I want out of it? Right? Because then you're setting your own expectation and what you want out of it is basically going to be the equation of how much you have to put into it. So if you're looking to build an empire and you know, you want a multi-billion dollar company, I would say you probably have to sell your soul to it, right? But maybe you're getting into it because you're looking for a little bit of freedom in terms of time or, you know, financial freedom or whatever that is. And then how much financial freedom? So I think it's really, really important to to know what you want out of it because that'll probably tell you what you have to put into it. You're going to have to work hard no matter what, but there's a big difference between maybe working, you know, five days a week, 12 hours a day, and seven days a week, 16 hours a day, right? So uh, so I think figure that out first. Um, and then who do you listen to? I don't know. Like, I, I, I read a lot. Um, you know, I listen a lot. But I don't necessarily – I take it all with a grain of salt. I, right. I, I really rely on myself more than I rely on anybody else. I've been at this for, you know – 
30 some years. And I can tell you, I've had two mentors that, you know, that I've listened to. And I think it was a really good idea. I've had a lot of people who have had opinions and I kind of think the quicker somebody has an opinion, the less I'm going to trust it. So, you know, if the person's asking me a lot of questions and they're learning what my problems are or what I'm trying to do, and then they're giving me feedback, that's quality feedback. But if I'm having a five minute conversation and somebody's telling me how to run my business or telling me to do this or telling me to do that, it's like, I've kind of learned that, you know, I don't know. It's probably, how could they know? And, and Nobody knows better than the entrepreneur themselves. Like I'll have people ask me things. I, I'll try to give advice, but I always back it up with, Hey, you know what? You're the entrepreneur. You're going to bed, looking at the ceiling, thinking about this stuff. Yeah. You know it better than anybody else. You know, so. No, and that's so true. And you know what they say about opinions, you know, everyone has them um, and everyone's going to have some kind of advice and something that I've found with even this podcast, which I've run, been running for just over a year now, you know, when I went to start it, everybody had their own um, advice and, and well-meaning, mind you, like, you know, it's, 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 it's not, you know, coming from a bad place a lot of the time, but it's just, oh, you should do this. You should do that. This is what you should talk to. This should be a format. It's like, great. No, thank you. I appreciate the feedback, but thank you very much. I'm just going to do it my own way. <laughs> I, yeah. you know, I, 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 I think it's never going to stop that people are going to give you advice and people are going to, you know, tell you what they think you should do, but almost having that filter. And I, I like that, you know, how quick someone gives you advice is just like a default answer that they might give 50 other people. And do you want to be like 50 other people who actually listen, internalize and applied that advice? You know, I think you'd be running around in circles for a very long time if you took everybody's advice, but you know, yeah. yeah. You know, there's probably three stages to starting a business. I think to me, phase one, is a totally intuitive phase and you should actually kind of block out what other people are saying um, and get it up and going. It's going to take you a year or two. Uh, You're going to learn a lot. And then phase two is going to be, you know, now you're going to have people on your team that are going to understand your business. They're going to understand your vision. You're going to have customers that understand your business that understand your vision. So that's when I think you go out and we, I mean, we call it a design thinking process. So it's actually, it's a, it's a very disciplined process that we use. We break down all parts of the business. Then we go through this design thinking process with these storyboards and everything. And now we're getting feedback on all that intuitive, all these assumptions we made because they're, they're not all right. I can guarantee you that. Um, But now you've got more people that can help you through that process. So that's that's really how we've done it in the past and it works quite well and design thinking that's that's very interesting and i've heard a lot of people and even some a few guests on on my show talk about this field and how it it helps to have these mental models and and you know improve your decision making skills it's definitely something i'd like to dive into more but i think what's more important is also what you said there is the phases you know uh, i would not i would never start a business yeah. through the design thinking process exactly you don't have a business yet you yeah. know yeah what everybody else wants you to have and you know that's probably the same as what's already out there so when right. you start a business there has to you want a differentiator uh and i think that, that's important so yeah so anyways that's that's how we've done it 
Yeah, no, and that makes a lot of sense. I like that a lot because I, you know, coming back to the whole noise and stuff, I think that now entrepreneurship is so in vogue. Everyone wants to do it. Everyone wants to quit their job. Everyone wants to go live this this life, and you know, even even knowing some of the challenges involved with it, but it's this shiny object syndrome that you know I've I've fallen victim to as well, where you know you start one thing. You think, okay, yeah, you know, I got this figured out. I got some clients. I got some revenue coming in. This is great. You know, I'm going to scale this and blah, 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 blah. And then you see the shiny object over there and you're like, well, you know what? I should start a course. I should do this. I should blah, 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 blah. And then you, you, you compound that over even a few months and you're doing all these different things and you're like, wow, I'm doing nothing well. I'm just yeah. doing a bunch of things, spinning a bunch of plates, feeling busy, feeling, uh, you know, like I'm getting a lot done. But I think, you know, having that focus and really kind of figuring out, you know, the fundamentals of what, you know, your offer is, who you're targeting, the differentiation, that kind of stuff at the beginning. I think, you know, from a lot of people who have built successful businesses, that's what's being echoed a lot. And it makes a lot of sense. And I think that happens in phases. Uh, I, I think it's kind of dangerous to have all your eggs in one basket. So you want to create multiple opportunities, multiple revenue streams. Um, I think when you start the business, uh, you should focus on, well, a couple of things. Number one is right when you start it, actually, uh, to me, it's throw a whole bunch of things on the wall and see what sticks. Once you have that, focus on it and do it really, really well. Start bringing on a team. But then often, you know, if you're a true entrepreneur, you're going to be causing more trouble for that team than you are going to be doing good because you're just going to be distracting everybody all the time. So you might be better off once your team is there, let them really mold it and get all the operational procedures in place and follow and do all those things. And then, you know, how do you diversify or how do you expand on that idea? And I think that's the entrepreneur's job. And is that something you've uh, kind of struggled with in the past personally, you know, uh, for the for some of the businesses you've run, you know, big idea, execution, getting it all started, but then having trouble stepping away from the operations, the, the building of the systems of it all? Or is that something you've been good at? I think, I mean, I have no choice because I'm, I don't consider myself good at running a business. Uh, if I stayed and I ran the business, I mean, I sold, we had a lift business. We went from zero to about $6 million in 30 months where profit was about a million a year. And it was running really, really well. We sold it because I was bored. You know, it was running really, really. And I, I mean, at that time, I was 30 years old. We had millions in debt. We couldn't borrow anymore. The business was going well. But, you know, that was kind of the end of the road for me only because literally I was bored. I didn't, I, you know, it wasn't kind of why I was there. So, you know, you're not the first uh, um, successful entrepreneur who's told me that exact story of like, built this big thing. It, it got to the end of the road and it was successful. There was nothing wrong with it. And it's just, I'm bored. I wanted to yeah. do something else. And I love that. <laughs> and, <laughs> My wife wasn't too happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Uh, kind of switching gears a bit, but still on the same, you know, on, uh, whole entrepreneurship topic. What are some of the biggest challenges you have faced in, in building these, these businesses? And, you know, I know we can't sit here and talk about each individual one and all the trials and tribulations, but just generally speaking, what are some of the big things you've had to overcome? 
you know, different stages, I think, bring different problems. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, our, probably our biggest challenge is back in 2013, we had Monster Halloween. We had 26 stores across Canada, some in the U.S. We had Cody Party that we were franchising across Canada. We had just started Cody Mobile, which was really mobile home services. Uh, so things were going quite well, and our son passed away uh, June 2013. And, uh, you know, I spent, I don't know, uh, about a nine months in bed, so I couldn't get out of bed. The only thing I could get out of bed for was to have a hot bath or have a warm shower. So during that time, we ended up having to have a really a fire sale on those three companies. And I think as an entrepreneur, that's when you really appreciate the value of your energy, right? So, cause if you, if your energy is sapped, um, you know, a lot of things start to fall pretty quickly. So I think, um, you know, that was, that was probably one of our biggest struggles and, and coming out of that, um, you know, we had a couple million dollars in debt, uh, everybody's saying go bankrupt, you know, then just start over. And I didn't want to do that. And, all we had left was this software that we had built to run our companies. And uh, I didn't know anything about software. And uh, I just hired some guys to build software because we couldn't find anything good in the market. Um, so I think just maybe being an entrepreneur is we said, you know what, let's, let's take the software and turn it into a business. And we turned that into better software. Uh, and then, you know, we raised, uh, 10 million, $9.8 million in the first two years, wow. uh, took some outside money, uh, you know, learned a lot there, learned a lot about taking VC money, um, you know, making sure the expectations are right, making sure that you're aligned on values. You know, you're just not concerned about the valuation of the company. You're concerned about, you know, how you treat your team, uh, you know, making a great product for your customers so that they're going to be happy. So those types of things. So there's, you know, but I, I mean, there's a lot of challenges, but I, even just like that challenge, losing our son, uh, there's been a lot of good things come out of that as well. So, you know, uh, I, I can't say that I've ever had, there's never, I say that to the team all the time. Uh, we're faced with, you know, big challenges all the time. And, and I think everybody's, seeing it that every time we're faced with a big challenge, we come out better, we come out stronger. So are they challenges really? Or are they just opportunities? I think they're opportunities to be better. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, for sure, as, you know, sorry about your son for sure. And, but, you know, the big takeaway there from that to me is like the ability to pick up the pieces and do something with it that is positive and not just, you know, when your back's against the wall and all this, you know, everything's just not looking good, you know, debt and all this, you know, the three, three companies doing something with it and then kind of pivoting to this whole software thing. So, you know, talk to me about what, what, you know, with, with better software, what, what that was like, what that journey was like and, and up until now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even, well, I'll tell you about, you know, just to amplify maybe how hard things are is, um, so I think it was August 2017, no, 2015, I told the, the, my family that it, we were going to be in the software business. My kids thought it was hilarious. 
because I could hardly operate my cell phone. <laughs> so then we see this, my, my wife saw this notification on Twitter where they had this, what they called an accelerator program called Elspark out in Canada. It was the first time they do it. And I'm like, I said to my wife, what, what is an accelerator program? I didn't even know. So she said, well, you go into this thing for nine months, uh, sponsored really by Terry Matthews. So I knew that name. We used to clean his windows, um, you know, uh, at both Newbridge and at his house and uh, a huge fan. Um, so he was kind of the head of this thing. And, you know, you, you could apply to this program. Uh, you'd go into it. You'd be there for nine months and they would teach you how to build a technology company. I'm there like, that is perfect. So anyway, so I ended up, I applied for this program and, uh, I think 320 companies had applied. This was the first time they were doing it. And I, so the whole, the way it worked is you apply, they would select, uh, well, I think it was 20 companies. You would go in and you would pitch your idea, and out of that, they were going to select a maximum of ten companies. Didn't didn't cost you, so this was perfect. Uh, so I applied uh, day before the pitches. Uh, no, two days before the pitches, uh, I get an email from a guy named Marco. Marco says, "Steve, thanks for the application, uh, but you didn't make it in. So you know, good luck next time." So I emailed him back. I said, "Marco, I think you made a mistake. I got to come in and see it." So, you know, and uh, Marco said, okay, come and see me tomorrow. I'm in Canada. So next day I drive out to Canada. I park the car, get out of the car, check my cell phone. Uh, and this is like a day before the pitches. So I'm figuring, you know, I'm going to, I got to talk Marco into this. And then uh, Marco sent me an email, said, Steve, I'm sorry. I have to cancel our meeting. I have something important. So I said, well, you know, for me, I need to have this meeting because I need to get into this program. And uh, so I looked. On LinkedIn, I looked for Marco's picture, and then I walked into the building, and I started walking around the building looking for Marco. And uh, I saw Marco. I said, hey, Marco. And uh, anyway, so, you know, and uh, he wasn't busy. And uh, <laughs> we talk, and uh, so we sat down and talked, and then he said, oh, I think somebody canceled. Let me see if I can get in. And so then he came back, and he said, yeah, okay, you, you can pitch tomorrow. And I said, okay, well, I have another problem. And he said, what's that? I said, I've never presented to anybody in my life. I, I, don't, I don't know how to make a PowerPoint or anything like that. So he said, no problem. We'll get you a mentor. And so they did that and uh, went in the room the next day. And, and they left me to the last to pitch because I had to practice. I'd never done it before. And uh, first thing I told all the investors in the room, I said, just so you know, I'm not a tech guy, but I, I know what I can do and I can sell. And uh, went through my presentation and uh, got a phone call that night. Only two companies were picked, and we were one of the two. Wow! And, and that's how that's how I got started in the technology business. So didn't know a thing. Never raised money from outside people other than banks and you know myself. And uh, we raised nine point eight million dollars. And uh, it was kind of the whole better software thing was a crazy journey because uh, I didn't get along with the VCs. They didn't care about our people. They didn't really care about a good product. They just cared about a good return. Eh? They just cared about a good return. So I left the company um, June 2017. Uh, and uh, anyways, I ended up buying the company back uh, about four months after I left. Oh, wow. <laughs> For an entrepreneur, that's a really good thing. <laughs> that's incredible, we have man. To, I mean, today, it's a great company. So, yeah. That's awesome to hear, man. What a story. And again, you know, echoing what I said before, it's like, 
not taking no for an answer. And just, you know, you know, you could have easily just been like, oh, well, you know, this, this is not for me, tech. Well, what am I pushing for? What am I going to, it's very easy. And, and it comes back to the mindset thing. And it's like, you know, it wasn't that, and, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it wasn't that, you know, you were just like, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to become the, the number one. I'm going to learn everything there is about tech and just become the best tech person. You were like, no, I know what I'm good at. I'm good at sales. Let me get a face-to-face with you. I'm going to get in, do this pitch, and, and close. And, and that, that's incredible. I, lo- I love that story. I think people are going to get a kick out of that. That's, that's, a, that's a good yeah, Coming back, fucking buying yeah. the company. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that's good stuff, man. Good yeah, stuff. Really good. And then uh, talk to me then. You know, it was around like 2017 then, right, that Ruckify uh, came about, correct? Yeah. And yeah, so, the, day, the day I left, better, I went for dinner with my wife that night, and it's okay, like, well, what do we do next? So we said, let's start Ruckify. And uh, that's how I started Ruckify. And, and Ruckify, you know, the idea was born about a year before that. So we had a storm out front of our house, and a big tree had fallen down. And, uh, like, as soon as the storm was gone, I can hear the chainsaw out front of the house, and I went out to see what was going on, and my neighbor uh, Bruce Linton, uh, he was out there. He loves a chainsaw. So he's out there cutting up the tree and he's like, Steve, I can't get the stump. The blade's not big enough on the chainsaw. And, you know, we started looking around. We're saying, well, probably a neighbor's got a bigger chainsaw, but, you know, how the hell would we know that? So we started saying, you know, we should make an app for that so people could, whatever they own. And that's kind of where the idea started. And, and I had built and sold six different rental companies. So you know, for me, that really kind of the bug was there, but I wanted I wanted to focus on better and better what was important because we did have shareholder money, um, and I was excited about it. But uh, yeah, so the day I ended up leaving better that night, went out for dinner, and uh, you know, boom, we got logos made up and we got rocking right away. Uh, talk to me about that process from idea to making it a reality. Now, obviously, you've done it before. You had the experience. Not like talk to me about okay after that dinner, what do you go home and do? Like what what is it that you actually go? Like do you have a you have a team? Do you have people who can just go help you with this stuff, or you're just like? I mean, I have I have people I've worked with in the past. So you know, call, you know, calling somebody, I need a logo, and then working through that process. And I think. To me, that's a great, you know, you start with your domain name and you start with your logo because that becomes kind of the inspiration and it's fun and, you know, kind of energy. It makes it more real, right? And then it's, okay, well, we need to build the tech. Uh, you know, at that time, Better was still operating, so I couldn't poach them, but I called our first uh, CTO, so our first technology officer at Better. He had left already. And I called Peter and I said, Peter, will, will you help me? We met. And uh, he checked with his wife and he called me back that night. He says, Steve, he says, I'll work with you, but under one condition. I'm okay. Well, what's that, Peter? He says, you're not allowed to pay me. I said, what the hell do you mean? I'm not allowed to pay you. He says, no, I believe in this mission. I believe in you. I'll work, but you can't pay me. Wow. Uh, so anyways, that's kind of, you know, so he's an, an extremely important part of the company now. And, and we, we actually have to fight to give him a raise. He's uh, <laughs> an odd duck, wow. <laughs> but, you know, so it was getting, but Peter had another job, so he could only do it part-time. And then, you know, it's putting that up, looking for a developer. And, you know, so it's just, and then, I don't know, I, I spent months at one Starbucks. And I probably would have, I don't know, like six to 10, 12 coffees a day. Just with 
all these people, meeting them on LinkedIn. And selfishly, you know, I'm practicing my pitch. I'm trying to get feedback from people. I'm interviewing. So I'm learning that whole time from people. And I think that that helped me a lot and helped me find some great people. And I think, again, you know, it's, it's all about stages. And I think when you're building your business stage one, you're looking for generalists that are very enthusiastic, lots of energy, uh, you know, stage or phase two, you know, now we're starting to look for specialists, right? And special, uh, you know, uh, and professionalism and, you know, so there's different phases to, to the, to the, how you build a business, but yeah. you no know, phase one, I'm looking for people that are curious, people that care about their community and people that are relatively smart and know a lot of, a lot of different things right. uh, that I feel can add value. And uh, that's how we started. That's, you know, that was the, the start of the hiring process. And, and that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, a lot of startup founders I've talked to, that's, that's very much it. And, you know, at the beginning, you want people who are going to be able to wear multiple hats, fit multiple roles, do all kinds of different things. And, uh, you know, obviously, I won't say I'm, I'm in a similar startup world, but surrounding myself with pieces who are willing to go to extra distance to just get things done and don't Let's not overthink, like, you know, going deep, deep, deep into the weeds and having the best, you know, whatever in the world. Let's just have something and then, you know, iterate and just keep going from there. So, yeah, I, I love that. Together, you're slapping it together. Uh, you know, we look at uh, Rockify 2.0. So we've been at it for three years. It's just rolling out this week. It just starts rolling out. But you had to slap it all together. You had to use your intuitiveness and then you bring in your design thinking team and then they start breaking it all down and they start rebuilding it. Right. And then it becomes awesome. Right. So, so let's talk about uh, the difference between Rockify 1.0 and 2.0. Well, what is that? Cause I'm not familiar. Yeah. I mean, it's just a lot about, you know, when we started Rockify, uh, you know, our product manager was from the rental industry, understood rentals. We had worked together in the past several of the people. So you're kind of sitting around this table early on where five or six people and you're, it's really kind of interesting because you're building something that nobody's ever really built before. Uh, you can go around and you can see where people have tried, but they've not succeeded. So you kind of don't want to copy them, but you may want to call them and find out what went wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. And get that feedback. So, right. But you don't have a blueprint. <laughs> like you don't yeah. have a clear, like, this is how you exactly build this and execute on this. Yeah. yeah. You know, how do you, how do you get network effect going? Is it just a marketplace? Do you allow people to have these stores like, you know, for rental stores, uh, we call them Rockify stores now, just like a Shopify store for e-commerce. Uh, you know, do we do criminal background checks on people? How do you add, uh, you know, multiple things from multiple people to your cart and all have them delivered. So there's all these crazy things and it gets, it's all built over kind of just iterations and iterations, but it is all jumbled together. So, you know, as long as you know ahead of time, we're building V1 and uh, we built V1. And then, you know, we knew when the time was right, when we thought we had it built enough, we thought we found product market fit. Uh, so we knew people were making money with Rockify. We knew people loved the idea. Uh, so then it was, you know, putting together a product innovation team, a design thinking team to start, you know, breaking it down. What's the checkout process? Spend two to three weeks. I just got off a meeting, our whole notifications process. How do you notify people? How often do you notify them? Why do you notify them? 
And the amount of work and the data and the thought that like, I could never do what they do. But <laughs> I, I walk away all the time from these meetings with chills. And it's just like, holy smokes, like this product's yeah. amazing, right? Yeah. So, so now we have the time uh, to, to do that. And we have, we're a little over 70 people. So now you have people on the team that are becoming experts in the sharing economy in marketplaces, right? right? Uh, we have customers. We have customers that are making, you know, we have customers made $20,000 this summer. Wow. Uh, you know, so you have customers that are making a lot of money. You have customers are struggling to make money. Well, why are they struggling? So we can go back and we can learn from them and, and we can come back with this, you know, Rockify 2.0. Now, it's, it starts rolling out this week. Uh, the major features will be rolling out over the next 90 days. Uh, but I mean, it'll be ongoing now till the, until the end of 2021. It'll be right. super And that's now getting it to be like a, an, an app that's even more interactive, even more user-friendly, you know, yeah. with a lot more of those notifications, you know, a rating system, all those kinds of things as well. Like, yeah, that, that, yeah that's really cool. I, I think it's a, you know, I personally, I can't say that I've used it, but uh, just looking into it, I've even seen the trucks. I've seen all kinds of things, you know, in Ottawa, how could I not, right? But I'm like, man, what is that Ruckify stuff all about? Like, what, what are they talking about there? Is that, I thought just really weirdly when I first saw it, I thought it was some kind of like, um, like backpacking type of outdoor gear company, like, you know, something like that. But then I look yeah. into it, it's like, Oh, you can rent everything and and you know you could it's it's great for students for elderly like you got a pretty wide range of like users correct me if i'm wrong that if you could download an app and you have things that you are not using and you want to generate some income off why not like why would you not and so i'm very excited to see then now the next stage not even just v2 but like the expansion so you know right now uh, where are you guys like like where exactly do you exist where does ruckify serve yeah so right now we do 23 categories about 326 subcategories we're in about 228 communities where we have over 800 items in those communities uh only in north america uh, so we have three tiers of cities we're in, so it depends on the focus and depends on the amount of items that are in inventory, um, but there's 228 of them uh, in North America. Uh, and with Ruckify 2.0, uh, you know, you're going to see Ruckify RVs. We bought a marketplace last year. That's going to be rolling onto the tech very soon. Cool. Uh, Ruckify Spaces is going to be coming over. Uh, Ruckify boats. So you know, if your backyard, maybe your park, maybe your garage, maybe maybe you're you know you want to rent it out. Uh, yeah. So you're going to be able to do that through Ruckify spaces. Wow, uh, that's incredible. I mean, I'm just thinking about here in Canada alone, like let alone any, anywhere else. But just the amount of people who own boats who probably don't oh, take it out as much as yeah. they'd want to, or or you know RVs and like all kinds of things that are just kind of sitting there. Mass, you made a massive investment in this thing and you know your kids want nothing to do with it or whatever and it's like why don't i make some money off this <laughs> yeah ctv just did a story we have uh, two uh community members up in okotos up in alberta thirty thousand people uh the one lady was a stewardess was let go uh she made seven thousand her first 90 day the other lady made over 10,000 first 90 days on the platform that kind of worked together. 
and they didn't invest any money. This is all stuff they own. Uh, so, man, when you think of, you know, where this is all going with COVID and everything, we have a, like a real opportunity here to help a lot of people. And for us, that's super exciting. Uh, let's talk about that because I, I wanted to ask you, you know, how has COVID impacted things, if, if, if at all? Yeah, well, I mean, um, you know, you want to talk about setbacks. Uh, you look at, so we've been at it for three years. We spent the first two years building tech. Uh, then we spent the next seven months adding half a million items of supply. So that brought us to January of this year. Our first big go-to-market launch was Austin, supposed to be April 21st of this year. Uh, six of us had bought one-way tickets to Austin. We had committed about 800000 in marketing dollars to that community to, for our launch. Uh, we were almost there, and then COVID happened. And we were going to be doing a NASDAQ listing later this year. Uh, wow. So we had some big, big plans. And uh, we had about 80 people in the company at the time. And I can remember it was uh, March 12th, everything got weird. That's when the uh, sports teams got canceled and all right. that. March 13th, we knew we had to get the hell out of there. So we all headed home. March 16th, which was a Monday, we had to lay off half the team. Because we're looking at this saying, we're in the sharing economy. If people sharing in a pandemic is probably not going to fly. Um, but what happened was two things happened. One was... We started having gyms reaching out to us and saying, hey, we're, you know, people can't come to our gyms. Can we bring the gyms to people's homes? Can we rent out our equipment on your platform? So it was like, holy smokes, okay, now we're able to help people. Uh, then we had United Way reach out and say, you know, we need help. We have, you know, for mental health issues, their kids need to continue learning. Uh, people need their digital devices in their homes. Can you guys help us? And we went out to our community. We were able to help thousands of families, and we did it all for no charge. Um, but just doing that, doing good in the community, got us all this earned media, got everybody talking about us, and then everything went crazy. And uh, so we went from a company that was spending one to 200000 a month on marketing to never spending over ten k since COVID, and we've skyrocketed like it's it's unbelievable that's incredible man and it just talks it, it just you know goes to show again when you know when things are going a certain different direction pivoting and just looking at it like you know what this isn't the end of the road let's look at what we can still do and and that's incredible like the whole gyms and, and the united win and helping in all these different ways because like you said and and you're helping but at the same time you're getting that goodwill. You're you're generating that. Hey, Ruckify was there for us at a difficult time. Now we are. You know, we're we're kind of. You you guys are gonna benefit from that for a very long time. And it's it's insane that the marketing spend went down so much because you kind of don't need it. Yeah, you know what? I, I'm a huge believer. If if things aren't going well, and if you kind of find yourself getting into a jam. Think about how you can help people. And it's really cool. When you start helping, it changes the karma in the situation. But you tend to meet people for different reasons. And people tend to look at you and your business in a different light. And it's always, always been a positive thing to do that. And it's just, we like for us, it was more in, you know, how can we help is kind of whenever we're in crisis. And uh we're not saying how can people help us? How can we help others? 
And I don't know, it's just, there seems to be a way of things working themselves out when you do that. So 1000%, uh, something that really changed my life. I, I was listening to a podcast a couple of years ago and, and I don't know who it was, some chess master or someone was talking about, you know, when, whenever he leaves um, the house to go out into the open world, any interaction that he has with anybody, it, it's never, uh, it's never a neutral exchange. There's always, it's either positive or negative in, in some kind of way. Right. And to try to make it always positive and try to always give and try to always, you know, leave that imprint without any expectation of, Hey, like, what are you going to do for me? Hey, Hey Steve, like what, what are you going to do for uh, old Deepak here? Like, no, it's like, let, let's do this. Let's have this conversation. This might inspire somebody to, you know, start their own business one day or, you know, you know, do a lot of great for the world. And so why not, why not try to um, do some good and just for, for the sake of just doing good, man, there's, it doesn't have to be this calculated thing. And, and I love that. that. That's a powerful way to live. And you mentioned karma. I'm Indian. My parents have taught me this stuff since I was a kid, you know, but only now that I've moved out and started doing my own thing, I've realized, damn, they were right. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, that's, uh, it's always, always, always worked for us. I wish I'd have figured it out a lot earlier. So Absolutely. But you did mention some very exciting things, things still coming down the pipeline for Ruckify. Uh, what, what are you most excited about? For like, well, what are you most excited about in the next six months to a year? Obviously, we don't know the future or anything, but you know, what's the next big thing? You know what? I mean, it's, to me, it's really simple. I'm excited about, well, two things. Number one is just giving the people an opportunity to make money in, in this time of crisis without literally without investing. It's free to go on Rockify. Everything's free. Only when you make money, do we make money. Uh, you can, you know, you can post your stuff, your friends and family stuff. So I'm excited to see more stories like CTV uh, showed last week. So I think that that's exciting because it's not about making money as much as it is about hope. And I think right now people need hope. And we're yes. going to, when we get into winter and January, and anyways, hope's going to become really important for us, I think. So, so anyway, we're, we're going to be able to give some of that hope. And I think, uh, you know, the other thing that excites me is just the impact that we can continue having on the environment. Because if we can continue to get people sharing, and man, people love it. Um, my daughter was the first one to come up with the whole environmental thing. And I, I mean, I, I you know, I'm older and it doesn't mean it, it did not mean as much to me. Um, you know, when she suggested we should plant a tree every time somebody has a booking, I told her she was crazy because I pictured myself out there planting like thousands of trees. You know? uh, but we did that and it's one of the best things we've ever done. And man, does it ever resonate with people? Um, you know, so if, if we get people sharing, that means things aren't being made. And, you know, right now there's a lot of supply line problems as well. So when you think about sharing, it's that much more important. But the, the, the overall impact to the environment is, is just massive. Well, yeah, that's the big thing about the sharing economy. And it's like where most industries are now trending is like, hey, let's reduce our consumption in a way that actually makes a little bit more sense. And, you know, that's not to say, um, you know, there's anything wrong with like the, the whole recycling side of things and like, you know, like reduce, reuse, whatever I, I grew up with them, them telling us to do. But why not buy less things or consume, like get less things 
you share the things that you need. Like how often do I need, uh, I, I don't know, sir, like a chainsaw. Like I don't, I would not go out and buy a chainsaw to keep in my tiny little apartment, you know, for the one time that a tree falls down. But that's such a great example. It's like, you know, I might need one every now and then, you know, like, a, like a, all kinds of things. I, I love it. I just, I, I just think from every aspect, this business, it really reflects your experience um, and almost reaching this point of, I, I, I correct me if I'm wrong here, but like almost self-actualization through a business where it's like the money's there. That, that's great. Yeah. Of, of course, things are going very well from a financial perspective, but more importantly, it's actually making that impact and that hope. Oh my God, that, that really, that, that made the hairs on my neck stand up, man. Like people need that right now more than ever. People are struggling to pay their bills. The government can't pay people forever. And it's like, we got to adapt as a community, as a whole, figure out how are we going to keep our, uh, our families afloat? What can we do to make an extra buck? And, you know, maybe not just selling that thing like on Kijiji, like what, what would, uh, or Craigslist for, um, my listeners who don't know who what Kijiji is, but you know, just selling things, you know, maybe it's not the best solution. And, but if you could share it, everybody kind of wins. Exactly. Yep. With you a thousand percent. I love it. Kind of switching gears a little bit. Cause we don't have too much time left uh, from a personal development standpoint. You know, what, what, what kind of stuff do you do to keep uh, sharp in terms of learning uh, apart from just doing like, like do you, you mentioned you read books. Uh, do you do any kind of courses or any, any kind of stuff uh, for yourself, for your learning? No, you know what? I, I think um, a lot of it is reading, but a lot of it is, I think, especially now with, you know, these cell phones and all this digital stuff, it's taking the time to think, I think, is probably the most important thing. And what that means, and my wife's on me about it all the time, uh, go for a walk, go for a drive leave your cell phone at home. And it's amazing, you know, what you can do uh, just going for a walk and thinking about things. And uh, for me, I think that's probably the most important thing I do right now. Yeah, me as well. And I think so many people should be implementing this in this COVID reality that we live in, where we're staring at screens so much uh, during the day. And if your idea of unwinding is just staring at a screen some more, you're never really having that time to check in with yourself and just be. And so I've started doing that as well. I, I, not as much as I'd like, but I'll leave the phone home for like a 10, 20 minute walk and just get lost. And you start to hear the birds. You start yeah. to, yeah. you start to notice things a little bit more. You, you look people in the eye because you know, they're all wearing masks. So all you can look at is the eye, yeah. but you just start seeing things a little bit more. And, and I could not agree more. I've had to make some very uh, tough decisions in, in the past couple months as well with, with business and stuff like that as well. And just going for a long drive, shutting the phone off and just being with my thoughts has helped me work a lot of things through. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go for a two hour drive just to think. Yeah. And, uh, it's, uh, it works for me. I love that. Uh, from a perspective of, um, you know, fitness, health, um, you know, how do, how do you keep your, your, uh, your body in shape to perform, you know, at the level that you do in business? Well, I think I could be a lot better at it, but you know, for me, I like walking, uh, used to play a lot of hockey, 
uh, stopped doing that after our son passed away pretty much. But, uh, yeah, I, if I'll walk 10 or 20 kilometers in a day. Wow. Uh, and I'll line up my phone calls, uh, the ones where I'm mostly listening. So I'll listen in on a lot of team calls and I'll just try to line it up and I'll head out for a walk and could be 10 kilometers, 20 kilometers. And, uh, but you have to do it. If I don't do it, you, you get all full of anxiety and, you know, you don't think well, you're more irritable, you're more tired. Um, it just doesn't work. And I think, you know, if we think about what's the biggest threat to our business right now, and I talked to our team about it quite a bit, I think it's mental health. Uh, I think between now and next April, the biggest threat to most businesses is going to be mental health. Because I think, uh, you know, we're in for a rough ride. It's going to get a lot rougher. Um, and that's really hard on people. So we're adapting. Uh, you know, we're doing things we've never had to do before. And uh, boy, if you think of families with young kids and apartments and, you know, anyways, I think it's going to be really tough. So uh, we're trying to be proactive on that basis, but we're also learning as well. Right. So. Yep. It's, it's a, it's a crazy time. Um, the, the, the last kind of final thing I, I wanted to talk to you about before we kind of head into our lightning round to end the podcast is, What's what's next for you personally? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, we're looking at doing a listing, so we'll be uh, for uh, it, for me personally. Like, work is my life, so I have no hobbies. I don't play golf. I don't like, okay. like my hobby, my fun in life is working. Okay, so that is my hobby. So it's like, uh, so you know, I'm answering that question with basically a work answer, but that's fine work is my life so yeah we're looking at uh we've got some really really exciting things coming up for rockify uh we've got some nice traction uh you know uh bruce linton so i mean he started canopy growth yep amazing amazing person he's my partner in this uh from day one you know we've been thinking global domination we're not this is not a corner store um, you know, it's either going to be a rocket ship or it's going to be fireworks has been kind of our thing from day one. Every day goes by, we're more confident that it's going to be a rocket ship. So I think that's what we're most excited about. That's awesome. What's it like been, uh, being partnered with Bruce? I know he brings his own array of experience to this. Awesome. Oh, amazing. I mean, uh, for me, he's a mentor. Uh, you know, he's done what he took a company from zero to 23 billion market cap in five years, 4,000, like who's done that? Right? <laughs> and, and we're neighbors and we're really good friends. So I was with him through that whole ride and I saw that. And, uh, wow. I, you know, I, I mean, what's really, he's very, very, very humble. I mean, he doesn't, he drives an old, like my car, I drive like an old Kia, 10 years old. 260 some, some thousand kilometers, like an ugly red Kia. My wife hates it. <laughs> That's why I like it. He drives this old station wagon, Volkswagen. So I don't even, I don't even think it has electric windows. Uh, you know, so he's humble. Uh, we're both into giving back. Like we don't need to be the, we want to win, but we don't want to win alone. Uh, right. You know, 100% of the company belongs to our team. We want them doing well. Uh, valuations on rounds are always reasonable. We want our investors to do well. So, you know, we want to get to the finish line. Uh, we want to win, but we want other people there with us. Yeah, it's, it's not at all costs. It's, you know, we're no. going to win. We're going to win together. We're going to cross that finish line. I, However, gonna, I mean, we want to win against our competition. But, you know, if you work your ass off and you're beside me, I want, I want to hope that you're going to make some money that's going to change 
the course of your life and your kids' lives. So that's, and that can be a lot of fun. And Bruce has done that, you know, before, and we plan on doing it again. Well, Steve, even in this last hour chatting with you, man, I, I, I can see how humble you are and it's shining through. Um, this it's is incredible. This is not going to be the last time I have you on the show. I can't wait to watch Ruckify and all the things uh, you guys do grow. I I like to end my podcast with three questions. Uh, just to it's just can I ask one? Can I ask one after you're done with three? All right, let's do it. Okay, question one: What is one uh, thing that very few people know about Steve Cody? I, geez, I'm really transparent. So, <laughs> something that you know would would shock people to know about you. Something that you know, just no bio is gonna well, is gonna. I maybe I, I, you know, I'd rather stay home on a Friday and Saturday night. I'm not a very social person. So, <laughs> there you go. Love it. Um, <laughs> what is the, some of the worst advice you hear people giving out there uh, these days? Something that you just come across and it's like, don't be telling people that. Yeah, man, it, it, and that's like a, a big pet peeve. I hear all, like I go to these mentor things and I hear these mentors talking and it's, it almost makes me insane because they're saying things to these entrepreneurs that are, I don't know, I don't like, well, you shouldn't do that or you can't do that. I mean, it's most, like, think about telling, like, you know, a good example is Michael Dell. Michael Dell started selling computers online when nobody had a computer or nobody was online, right. you know? Matt, like you, like somebody would say, why would you do that? You idiot, you know, uh, but it does, like an entrepreneur will figure it out. There's always a way. Yeah. So any, anytime I hear that, it's like, what gives you the right to say that? It makes me insane. It's like trying to make this cookie cutter um, solution to entrepreneurship. This one thing is the one secret or hustle, hustle, hustle. I mean, it, and what makes it so arrogant to know that you know that? Like it yeah. makes no sense. And you know? I think I think by the very definition of entrepreneurship goes against that completely. Yeah. It's like you got to go against the grain and do the things that people think are too crazy, think are too wild. Like when you started Ruckify, it was probably people telling me, hey, man, I don't know. Like, I don't know. There's already there's already Craigslist out there. Why would anyone want to rent something? Like, I don't know. You know, <laughs> you talk to like big investors and. You know, you'll sit down and, oh, we want to put all this money in. And then you sit down with them and, you know, oh, but you got to do this and you got to do that. And they haven't asked any questions. You know, they, they haven't been at this for three years and then built all, you know, like, anyways, it's, it's, uh, it's frustrating. So I, I love people that ask a lot of questions and then give an opinion because to me that's, then it's worth something. Last and final question, and I know we already kind of alluded to this before, but how do you want to be remembered? How does Steve Cody want to be remembered? Uh, probably as a person that builds people up, I think. So taking people and giving them an opportunity to probably do something they never thought they were capable of doing or never thought of doing. So, And I think a lot of people have a lot in them that they don't know. They just have to be given the chance, no different than myself. Absolutely. Fantastic. Uh, my question. Okay. When are you going to start to rockify? Oh man, I'm starting tonight. <laughs> Making my account as soon as this is over. I, I love it. I'm completely on board, you could, man. You could be retiring and you don't even know it. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I got some, I got, I got a little bit of gear I could rent out around it's here. Up. I got, 
I got some of those uh, books hanging around for when I went to business school that really yeah. did me nothing and taught me nothing about business. <laughs> I can rent those out to people. Yeah, absolutely. Steve, this has been an amazing episode. I really appreciate you coming on uh, the It's Not That Deep podcast. I hope you had a good time as well. Where can people find you on social media to connect? Uh, best place is LinkedIn. So Steve Cody, C-O-D-Y. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much the only place. Awesome. And just spell out the website for Ruckify for people so they could find it easily. R-U-C-K-I-F-Y dot com. Ruckify dot com. Perfect. If they didn't already see it on your shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate it. And uh, just remember, it's not that deep. Perfect. Thank you.